I don't wanna laugh for my... Yeah, but in the So So Death remix. Hi, and welcome to Christmas Shade with me, Lou Mensa, and special guest, Kevin Morosky. Kevin is an advertising creative, film director, and photographer. He's also the co-founder of We Are POC, a members collective and community of creatives with a mission to accelerate equality within the industry. He's also one half of the creative agency duo, Felix and the Lovebirds with Tom Dunn. We delved into the historical and social context in which Kevin works for this episode um, and he shares his insights into his triumphs and challenges working as a senior creative in our white dominated industry. Seeing as this is Shade's Christmas episode, we've decided to give you a two-part special, complete with our very own tribute to Kevin's Queen of Christmas. Here we go. I've been enjoying this so much, your observations and your insights. And when I was looking through all, all of your work, there was another quote, because we're hooking all of these on on quotes going through this. You're, and you're, you're a quotable guy. Oh, my God, the things that you <laughs> say. Along some of the great quotes of yours, I'm also putting in some, some quotes of some other greats as well. And this one is from Alice Walker from um, her work, The Way Forward is with a Broken Heart. And she says that healing healing begins where the wound was made. And I really believe that. And when you're just yeah. talking about moving around in social circles, it's just like part of your healing is saying no and walking out because you, you know those lessons and you've learned them. You don't need to be there. And something I read that you wrote as well was about safe spaces. And it made me think about the politics that's going on at the moment in, in this country. And, Vote and Labour. You, yeah yeah vote labor and if you can't vote (laughs) you said that children today are um actively trying to survive their childhoods by speeding towards adulthood assuming it's an escape and you're saying that you look back at your personal experience in this country as a black man and where where we are right now makes perfect sense And you said, where else did we think that this country was going to end up when you constantly make a group of people feel like they're other and and unloved while taking away the safe spaces where they could unpack their experiences? What does a safe space look like? When you were a child, it was obviously with your family and your grandma. But what is a safe house? grandma's house <laughs> my grandma's house as soon as i hit that black wooden gate and like hit that green door like cool i'm loved and you know i'd walk through that door and she's like what do you want to be today and i'd be like i'm going to be a scientist she's like well let's see what we can make oh, and bless. she'd like let me take jars and put all of the ingredients in the world into one blasted jar and just let me do it and my mum would just be like what is this like but in terms of a safe space as an adult it's uh it's many of things it's me getting the bus home at night and waiting for the emptiest bus that I can find and sitting Mm. upstairs at the front deck just being able to listen to my thoughts bits and bobs that things that I do uh that I like to do by myself and for myself um that really just keep me sane and it's just my own little personal kind of space I got asked a question like this the other day like 
what it is when I'm writing these things. Like, how do I get into the mindset of writing scripts or uh, articles or whatever it is that I'm working on? Yeah. And I was like, there's, you know, it might be um, I go and uh, play a particular song that takes me back to a certain time, but on repeat. And when I say repeat, I'm talking about five to six hours straight like through the whole day of just trying to like stay in that space and work it out what it is that I am trying to write um Mm. at the moment I'm in the middle of a transition of leaving my current agency to go and start um a new position and it's quite stressful oddly enough what's dropped into my lap is this new song by Lauren Hill called Guard in the Gates for the Queen and Slim film which I saw a preview for and um I don't know, there were some beautiful gowns in it. That's all I'm going to say about that film. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that particular song has just found me at the right time. So at moments of, like, about to lose my shit, I just put that on. And that's that song's become my safe space. And I know that in a year or so from now, uh, whatever God you serve... Um, if he spares he or she spares my life when I find myself in a similar situation I'll probably put that song on and just remind myself of how I overcame it or what conclusions I came to but you've also created safe spaces yourself for other people when I was looking into how much work you've done I almost couldn't believe it I was like this guy must be at least 75 (laughs) (laughs) it's just like you've got the community Right, so that's a podcast. You've got um, the creative agency. Yeah, it's kind of, as in POC. Yes, POC. Yeah, so POC is like, which is spelled P-O-C-C, which stands for like People of Culture Collective. Because I'm I'm not really a fan of the term people of colour or even Mm. BAME, actually. Like, Mm -hmm. so the way that I got into advertising was uh, I took a position as an editor in-house at an advertising agency. Um, mm. I want to be a creative, but I met this uh, amazing woman called Nana, mm. and she was head of TV mm. at this particular place. And I was like, listen, um, I'm a photographer, and, and I, I make film, and I do this, this stuff, but I've hit a glass ceiling of not having control and being able to cast the projects that I'm working on in the way that I would like to Mm. and I'm not when the stories that I've been asked to write on or direct for Mm. and I'm saying this story doesn't make sense I don't have the power in the room Mm. and I've realized that I'm starting to turn to a token of like oh get the geeky blay gay Mm. black kid Mm. right in the room Mm. that will do we covered diversity look you've given him some money Mm. that will do and I was like that I'm I'm not here for this shit Mm. so um you name a magazine and I've shot for it but Mm. I didn't like the way that things are being cast and I also didn't enjoy behind the scenes that I for every set that I was on I was always the either only I was always the only black or brown person on set so um I I was like maybe I need to be in advertising Mm. right I should be in advertising because at least then I can come up with the ideas and infuse it with my point of view and with real culture and stop them making things like that fucking Pepsi commercial mm. where what's oh, Jesus name? with Kendall yeah and the Pepsi and I was like look I say I, 
they sold racism <laughs> with a can of Pepsi, like everyone doesn't drink Coke. But anyway, so, yeah. so I met this woman called Nana, um, and she was the head of TV. And I was like, listen, I want to be a creative. Like, I don't have any um, education in terms of like a degree or anything. I did try to go to uni at one point to do photography because I thought I needed a degree to be a photographer. Yeah. So I showed them like my personal book. They put me straight through to the second year. They said, don't worry about the first year. Just go and do the second year and because um, you're really talented. And I was like, banging, cool. And I probably lasted three months because it was just a madness. They were trying to tell me how to shoot stuff. And I was like, but I don't need to learn how to shoot stuff because you just made me skip a whole year. So I couldn't get my brain around it. I was mm. like, I'm literally here to learn how to run it as a business. And it's interesting in photography degrees that, well, when I had done that anyway, they weren't teaching you about usage and what you should be charging and day rates. And yeah, they don't teach fun- that. They don't teach that. She no, they just don't like, teach that. Yeah, because all of my stuff in that portfolio at the time was shot on two-for-one cameras from Boots because that's oh, all I could yeah. afford. And so when I got there, they were like, oh, you should use like your, your, your uh, loan to buy a Nikon I was like no I use my loan to pay my rent what are you talking about like yeah. so do you know what I mean like it just didn't make sense when I left uni I was like right you're gonna have to teach yourself all the things that you need to learn mm. and so like I always say like I didn't go to uni uni but I went to the University of YouTube so like edit <laughs> and like grade and like direct like anything that I want to even to this day like people ask me do you know how to do this I'm like yeah sure and then like I'll just be on YouTube practice yeah. it until I've got it to my standard, and then yes. I'm like, cool. Sorry, I take so long to tell stories, but there's just so much. I feel like there's bits that are important. Yeah. But basically met Nana, and I was like, listen, I want to be a creative, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I run the TV department. I need an editor, but I'm more than um, happy to bring you in, see what you can do. And if you can, if, you know, if it works out, great. And then I'll back you and help you become a creative within this building as best as I can. Um, so that's what we did. Like I came in, I did my day job, got all of that out of the way. She would let me know when a new pitch was going on. I would fully just rock into rooms I was not meant to be in and be like, I've got ideas for this. <laughs> Again, like being from Croydon, what you, you're not trying to take my life. I could care less if you, like everyone was a dick apart from my creative partner, Tom. Cause when mm-hmm. I first met him, I was like, oh, you're, I just, you know, you meet someone and you just become fast friends and you just get it. And he just got it. He like, we were just, he was just cool. I just thought he was cool. He thought I was cool. (laughs) And we just laughed at the same things that no one else was laughing at. And I found myself very quickly talking to him in shorthand. Um, But the magical thing that happened in that um, situation in agency was at that point, Nana had been in advertising for a while and had adopted this stance that a lot of black and brown people do in advertising where mm. they um, try to remain as quiet as possible, hoping that no one will notice they're black or brown. So she was doing that. Yeah. And I was on some, still freshly from Croydon, <laughs> not having a bar of it. And there was one particular day, like the senior creative came in, not even creative, he was just senior up. And he came in, he was like, oh, no, no, you've changed your hair. What have you done? And he went to touch her hair. And I was like... <laughs> Do not touch her hair. Solange actually owns me, owes me money, to be honest. 
not really. But I was like, don't touch her hair. And he was like, why? And I was like, because like you don't just walk up to people, especially black women, and put your hand in her hair. Like, that is the weirdest, wildest thing. What are you? And I just went off. He was just like, oh, I didn't mean offense. I was like, well, it was offensive. And like, just to let you know, like, on my watch, like, no black women or women, but black women in particular, will not be disrespected like that in my presence like I've never forgotten my mother's skin tone and I won't be doing that today don't do that <laughs> so he left really embarrassed and Nana had this look on her face we had like a conversation she was like I've never known what to say like it's always uncomfortable thank you so much and mm. so from that friendship anyway that friendship grew and I think we both nurtured each other so she mm. gave me game in like how to maneuver um, and then as time moved on, like I've been in a couple of agencies now and via personal projects or agency work, we work together again. And every time we're like, have you found any other black or brown people in advertising? She'd be like, no, like there's one person here, two people here. Long story short is with POC, it started out as a WhatsApp group. And like we just started this group and we were like, we made everyone admins and was like, just add anyone that you know that is black and brown in the creative industries this is ridiculous there must be more of us within a week like i think we've got to like nearly 180 people in the group and then a uh, two weeks after that we'd hit our capacity i didn't know there was a capacity at the time on mm -hmm. whatsapp but there is like you can yeah. only have like 300 and something so we hit that capacity and had to end open up like subgroups almost to deal with like film and like editors and like those groups filled up and so they initially were just spaces where people could come and rant uh first of all just to get stuff off their chest just to be like yo this just happened blah 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 but the main rule of POC um as a group is like you can come and rant but like what are we now going to do about it yes you know? it's not just a space to like and this comes back to I guess your original question about mm. um the past and like the future and how do you bring those things together and how do we move forward? You know, with um, Stop and Search, when that came out, mm. and my guy, that dickhead in number 10, was like, I'm going to increase numbers and da-da-da-da-da. Mm. We all know what community mm -hmm. that is going to affect mm -hmm. the most, right? Mm -hmm. So we all had a long, big-ass discussion about it. Everyone was livid. Like, mm. my brothers are in trouble. My sisters are in mm. trouble. Da-da-da-da-da. And mm. we all got it off our chest. And then mm. we were like, right what are we going to do about it? And if mm. you look on our page, we then put together that information and just sent it out to as mm. many people as we could, being like, yo, these are your rights. When Stop and Search um, starts, you have a right to stop and watch, take mm. out your phone. Mm. This is the distance that you should be at. These are the questions you can ask. Memorize this shit. And mm. when this starts happening, we're going to hold these people to account. Mm. Um, I saw that and I screenshotted it. So I had, could have it on my phone. And um, amazing. yeah, yeah that was exactly that... for that purpose. Like mm. Stop and watch. Mm. Um, the Generations of Greatness campaign we just started. Um, we were talking about Black History Month because as someone who sits in the space of black, but also LGBTQ plus, mm. I see the stark difference from Pride Month where everyone's on some big rainbow hype and doing cartwheels. Yeah. And then when it comes to Black History Month, it's almost like crickets. Do you know what I mean? That same vim for... Yes. And so for me, someone who lives in those two cultures, I'm like, mm -hmm. you're taking a piss. Like, 
where have you disappeared to? But that got raised in the group. And everyone's like, well, what are we doing for Black History Month? What mm. could we do to raise these conversations? Mm. And so again, out of like uh, the many members in that group, about 10, 11 of us were like, oh, let's meet and talk about this in person. Let's try and make a plan. Mm. And I'd had this idea for a while called like pudding. And it was this idea where, remember earlier I said to you, my granddad was a massive scientist in yeah. Jamaica. And when he came over, he um, ended up being like a taxi driver turned chauffeur. Mm. So he never, ever used his knowledge and science over here. And the same thing with like my grandmother, like um, the problematic one, like Mm. um, she actually ended up being well educated, but then came here and worked as like an NHS nurse. Yeah, so interesting. My dad was the same. He was a pharmacist's son and, you know, the, 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 you know so many West African families but you know the chief son and yeah. he came over here and his first job was a porter and there was a taxi driver for 40 years yeah. those things are never ever spoken about because what mm. that led to is me being where I am now and making mm. the work that I'm that's what I stand upon that's what our histories and generations and sacrifice has enabled I am now in advertising at a yes. quite senior level making yes. these decisions mm. so um it was called pudding and we spoke about that and then it turned into the generations of greatness campaign and that's you know made up of people from the group and within that group like i said we're over capacity now so i think mm. we're there in like 500 members uh, across different groups we're building platforms and all of this but within that group there are creatives from every single agency in London and we have a New York branch now as well of pot within that group it's mainly about supporting each other but at any point mm. we can form a mini agency and get a campaign out the generation of greatest campaign um the guy who worked strategy on it was from BB8 I oversaw it creatively but I also shot this side of 2020 we've mm. released industry-wide so it's been in campaign. We launched it at the end of October because we didn't want it to be a Black History Month campaign yeah. and we're going to run it all year round. So it'd be lovely to like even shoot you for it and find out your father's story mm. and like link it to what you do today and like understand that like, yeah, mm. there's generations in this mm. that sacrificed and came over mm. and humbled themselves just to be here to do these things. Yeah, absolutely. And um like and and the same as that for my mum as well because my mum as a white woman who grew up on the coast, she she lost all of her friends and family for getting together with my dad. And really? yeah, so wow. you know, and I think the reason why communication whether it was visual or now, you know, I write as well, but also starting with this podcast you know, as I'm approaching half a century and I have a child myself, I'm only now truly really understanding the real value of open and honest communication to reach people that's sort of not just within, like you say, an echo chamber. Because I realised right. my dad never had that. My dad refused to talk about the racism he experienced when he came over here in 1958, right, yeah. you know, as a young kid. Because I, I look back at it now and think, I think the trauma was so big that he couldn't talk about it. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to put one foot in front of the other. And my mum never talked about it either. You know, the abuse and the trauma and that she had. in what space did they have to talk about it, though? Yeah, exactly. No space. Yeah. 
no spaces at all and then I just think okay so I didn't as a kid and then you know okay so you know like people talk about I'm the first one in my family that went to university well that wasn't me but I think I'm definitely the first one in my family line on both sides that actually started talking about things Amazing. how they that's are just equally as important like because on the back of that like what is your daughter seeing learning and doing with that and how much further and faster will she go than you to make changes and so this is our christmas episode and um i just got a final quote here and um i just want to read it out to you and i wonder if, if you recognize it i don't want a lot for christmas there's just one thing that i need and i don't care about the presents <laughs> underneath <laughs> the christmas tree <laughs> Yo. My bridge and Mariah, listen. Yeah, listen, She's... Mariah. You're a Mariah fan. We're friends. It's an understatement, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's an understatement. Like, there's understatement. a picture of me and her on my phone, my saved phone, like my phone screen. Uh, Mariah has been about that life and day dot, man. And, like, I think Mariah was like a prime example of, like, People used to talk such nonsense about her. Like, really, for real, for real, in the 90s. Like, oh, she talks to dolphins in, like, that whisper tone. And she has a red carpet rolled out in front of her. And everywhere she walks. And, like, she needs butterflies everywhere she goes. And it's, like... I remember, like, seeing her in concert and talk about these things. And, like, being, like, they're, they're all mad. And, like, I just leave them to believe it. Like, if people really want to believe that I'm that much of a diva, then great. And she just played into it and just didn't care. And I think a lot of that just made me love her more. I was like, you're actually, like, kind of, you're actually bad in this. Like, you just don't care. You don't care. You do love her, don't you? Yeah, I love her deeply. She (laughs) is a soundtrack to my life or to, like, especially Butterfly album. Um, My best friend from the age of 15, uh, Ashley, um, who's a actress when we were growing up and both working in the mcdonald's in croydon and we had like a shitty fiat chicacento in the middle of june like we'd be playing the christmas album blaring it just driving around like we were the baddest in croydon <laughs> like just blaring the christmas album and like the fuck but mariah is life man like so you're going to be playing her this christmas obviously yeah, especially the So So Deaf remix, because there is a section in there that is absolutely, like, she just kills it. Is it? I've got to check that out. It's a So So Deaf remix, and um, when she goes down, won't you please be the one you really need? Won't you please bring my baby to me? <laughs> but when she does that, listen to the So So Deaf remix, because when she does that, she kicks into another down. key yeah. and holds it and then continues singing it and then blasts out of it, but you've just got to listen to, like the magic of it all but yeah mariah is like listen i would talk about mariah all day like all day long mariah and meet joe black yeah but in the so so deaf remix listen to that bit and just listen to her um, all right i'm gonna do oh my god i'm sorry i need to play it for you now oh go on i'm so gassed the bright yeah right it's coming up this goes mental can you hear it clearly? Turn it up. Right, it's this bit where she goes high, holds it, and then kicks out. You ready? Ready. 
it's just the control like she's so amazing it's just like great i don't care right now if like you know what i mean she's she's paid her dues i'm not bothered if she can still hit notes or not that doesn't extinguish all the stuff that she's done previously like you can't do it anymore so forget the 20 billion records that you suck like yeah. what are you saying that about? anyway that's the same lots with everybody of, that's like saying of, whatever runner was like a world record holder in 88 you can't run that fast anymore exactly exactly ridiculous what do they know kevin they don't know anything of, you know it's ridiculous but <laughs> i'm telling you, you thank you for playing that for me i'm gonna play that to my daughter she'll like that oh my god please do so so death remix yeah i um, will she loves those look- high notes i was teaching her that mini ripperton you know love yeah you. Sure, we're doing a bit of that, so we can do. We, I'll, I'll give her a bit of this as well. Thank you for having me. I hope I haven't. I've, I feel like I've talked your ears off. Oh, do you know what? I love it. You might have to right. do a, a part one, part two. <laughs> yes, I'll do Christmas Eve on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa.